I'm so glad you're here today. I'm excited. Uh, I, I started this last night and I went home. Let's <laughs> just show you. I just I have all these quirks in my, my mind. It was great last night, like 78 people. Everybody's happy. Uh, I even ended with Mellow Mushroom. Mm. Right? I, got I went to Mellow Mushroom and Robin and Phil, we were all calling each other. How do you think it went? It was awesome. It was great. It was so wonderful. And I just texted in the group chat. I said, that was awful. I said, my message was just awful. Like, who would ever come listen to that? Like, it was like, that was my thing because I just was like, I was so happy about it. And then, so here's what I did. I went home and stayed awake till 1 a.m., rewrote the whole thing, re-preached it to myself, and now you get it hot off the griddle, amen? <laughs> if it's awful this time, I won't be back next week. <laughs> uh, let me tell you how I landed on this uh, topic called the end game. Last year, I'm just going to be as transparent as I can. Last year, I checked the box at the end of December as that was one of the most awful years I've ever lived. Uh, I won't, I'll, I'll bear you the whys, but it just it was a year that when it ended, I just told Robin, December 31st, when we ticked midnight, I just said, thank God that year's over, kiss it goodbye, I don't ever want to remember that year again, and roll into January 1. Well, how many of you know, if you've had what you would label one of your worst years with things I had to face and deal with and the challenges of life, what better way to inspire yourself than to start out the year reading the book of Job? Because <laughs> at least by chapter 2, you think, I don't have it that bad. My life's pretty doggone good. I, I was two chapters in, like, man, my life's incredible. I've never, I've never broke out in boils. and I mean, it's, it's the most depressing book, but I thought, why not just start depressing and my year has got to be better. So if you're just in a bad place right now, you're thinking, I hate my life, just read Job. By Tuesday, you'll throw a birthday party. You'll be like, oh man, I got a great life, you know? And so I did. I, I thought, I'm going to tackle the book of Job. And so I started out reading. And sure enough, chapter one, he loses all of his business. He loses all of his servants. Uh, chapter two, he loses all of his children. Chapter three, his wife's ticked at him. That's pretty bad. By the time you hit chapter three, you're like, been there, done that. And uh, by chapter four, some well-meaning friends try to help him. So from about chapter four to chapter 38 is this guy named Job with his wife who's ticked and his friends who are all trying to help him process this misery called life. And everybody's got an opinion. And that intrigued me because I've read the book of Job, but this time I'm reading it different. Like I'm trying to put myself there and walk through it. And I'm trying to work this guy out that's struggling with God. But at the same time, he seems to, he seems to have a target on him from the devil. But at the same time, it seems like that the real end game is something going on between God and the devil. But as I kept reading, and, and I wasn't really thinking the end game, I'm just reading in every chapter, I'm like, my God, everybody's got an opinion. You ever met those people? Everybody's got an opinion. And here's what's even worse. Every chapter of everybody's opinion, they all think they're right. Like the entire book, everybody's right. 
and I'm getting irritated at reading the Bible. I'm reading God's Word, and I'm irritated. I'm like, God, these guys. Job's irritated because he just calls his friends a bunch of windbags. Listen, if you got a friend and you need to call them names, Job will give you a bunch of ways to do that. You're just a sorry, no good windbag. Don't you talk to me that way. Well, that's from the Bible. (laughs) I got a whole list now. I got just a whole list of comebacks for mean people that are biblical, you know? And so so I'm reading it, and as I'm reading it, it, it just... It's everybody grappling with who's right in this game of life. And by the end of whatever chapter you're reading, they all feel like they're right. And they even, they even say to Job, I'm right, you're wrong, I'll tell you why I think so. And so the whole dialogue of 30 plus chapters is just fraught with, with anxiety of the end game of life. Like... And I, I landed on that thought, everybody has an end game. Everybody has something they're going for. Everybody has an end result they're shooting for. I, I wrote the thought down. I read that book, and I didn't come out with, oh man, life's hard and we suffer. That's usually what I think. I read it this time, and I came out with this thought, every human has an end game, a what's-in-it-for-me philosophy. All of us. And if you think you don't, you probably have not looked in the mirror. Because all of us, including me, we all have what we're going for here. We all have why we get up and why we do what we do. Whether we're nice people or mean people, there's always what's in it for me. If you're going to post something about somebody, good or bad, there's kind of what's in it for me. You got out of bed and came to church probably thinking, well, I'm going to go and just kind of see. I'm going to check it out. What's in it for me? And if you get something valuable, you bring it into your life and maybe it becomes a habit. Maybe it becomes part of who you are. If it's invaluable, you check it off like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, never again. I'm moving on. But we, we kind of roll this around. And so I, I, I got this off the internet because I thought it kind of expressed what I think because it's the best I can pull it out. It, it's an artist, different artist representation of humans. So if you just say, draw a human face, and in every one, there's seven human faces up here, and every one of them are different. And and what I've learned about we're all in the game is that everybody in the room has the me. Well, this is what I think. Oh, no, this is what I think. Well, well, this is what I think. And then this person, well, I'll tell you what I think. And then I'll tell you what I think. And I'll tell you what I think. And the end result is, if you've never met them, everybody has a me. It's it's what what I'm passionate about, what I'm irritated about. And if you want to know how frustrating... Me is a group of me. Just go to a Thanksgiving family dinner. Well, I don't like the I don't like the dressing. It's too dry. This dressing's perfect. Oh my God, the turkey's dry. Why didn't we have ham? The tea's not sweet enough. Nobody made pecan pie. I'm like, God, it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's mad because the power of me. The power of me. You go to church. What do you think? Oh, God, I liked it. That guy on the guitar with the red beard, so handsome, and his voice. Oh, my God. 
It was too loud. It felt like a club. You could feel the bass on your chest. I just can't do it. I, oh, the songs they sang. Oh, man, it was wonderful how they flowed. It was too loud. I can't do loud. Why don't they sing the hymn books? I miss the hymn books. It was too long. My feet were hurting. Like, you, you, never, you never win. You, you just never win because why? Everybody has an end game. They turn the lights down. And then the reality is I have my own, and that's where it gets dirty because you have yours, but the real power is I have mine. And it's the me, the my end game that holds so much power. And if you want to know how fun it gets, it gets very interesting because Job, this is the verse I read in Job 35, then Elihu, that's one of his friends, said this to him, do you think it's right for you to claim I'm righteous before God? For you also ask, and here it comes, this is what caused me to think there must be an end game. What's in it for me? And what's the use of living a righteous life? What's in it for me? And what, what, what matter does it make? Of, I would say, what, what, what's the use of being a Christian? We all are so different anyway. Who would want to be part of what we do? We're, we're the most you know, ignorant people of what we think because the reason of this thing is we all think we're right. That's why there's a church on every corner. This denomination thinks they're right. We think we're right. They think they're right. The Catholics are right. We're, you know, it's just everybody's right. Everybody's got their right. Everybody has what they want. And so it becomes a challenge of, well, then how do we present Jesus to people when everybody has an end game? And the reality is everybody in the room doesn't just have an end game of life. If you're here today, you probably have an end game with God. There's something you want God to do for you. What, here's the end game of humans. What can God do for me? Now here's where it's challenging because if God doesn't perform for you, we can get really irritated. And many preachers sell a God that will perform. So we tell you, well, well, your problem is you're sick. My God will heal you. Your marriage is broke. My God will fix it. You're broke. My God will give you a job. You need a car. My God will give you a car. You need a new job. My God will give you a new job. But that's, that's how Christians sell God. We sell God to people by saying He will give you what you want. Now, sometimes He may, but the question becomes, what if He doesn't? What if you don't get healed? What if you don't get the car? What if somebody else got the job? What if you have to file bankruptcy? Now, is this God real or is He fake? And so we all bring to the table our experiences of, of what we think about life and what we think about God, typically shaped by your parents, shaped by life, shaped by religion. You've tried it before. You've been to churches. You've seen preachers. You've seen Christianity and what all we can do. And so it kind of shapes your end game of, well, I'm saved. I know Jesus, but I don't do church. You know, wherever you land. So here's, this is just kind of what I've been thinking of. Are, are we even on point as Christians? Because here's the deal. Here's Mark. 
And Mark has his hurts. Mark has his failures. Mark has his successes. Mark has his fears. Mark has his desires. And then Mark, at the end result, has what I think about God. And in in my life, I have to process who God is to me through all these things. It's why I can stand up here and say God is an incredible God. Because I've, I've defined God through my hurts, failures, successes, fears, and desires. I, I've defined Him because I've experienced Him. So my end result is, let me tell you who God is for me. But somebody else is also a me, and they say, well, well, I, I've never seen God do this. I've never seen God heal me. I've never seen God help me. I don't even know what He sounds like. I, and so everybody's kind of juggling God through these things called life. And I'll tell you this, if you want to know who will define God for you, life will define God for you. If you're not careful, the God of the creation will be dumbed down to your understanding because all humans who are me's define God in what makes sense to them. Now here's where it gets really fun and really dirty and challenging is that every person in the room has their opinion of what they think God is. All of us in this room have, well, I'll tell you who God is. And then just chunk in all the religions. Every religion has, there is no God. Yes, there's a God. It's Allah. No, it's not Allah. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Japheth. Jehovah, Jireh. We just all have who we think God is. And we juggle that around. The Buddhists what they think God is, the Hindu, what they think God is, the Baptists, the Methodists, what they think God is, the Pentecostal who thinks they're right what God is, the Catholics who think they're directly connected to God with a bat phone, like everybody. And that's just the topic of God in the room. If I ask you to define God, I would get 110 different definitions of God based on your experience either with the Bible or Christians or church or life. And then we have to go out to the world and take those 110 definitions and go, hey, y'all want this God? There he is. And then you get to cherry pick. I think I like the healing God. I don't like the wrathful God that I go to hell. I'll leave him over there. I like the God that gave me a new car, but I don't like the God that, you know, maybe, maybe in the middle of suffering doesn't pay attention to me. It gets worse because everybody in the room has what they think about Jesus. Well, I mean, I think he was a good person. I think he existed, but I don't think Jesus was God. Well, I mean, Jesus was God. He resurrected. Just go look at the historical documents and they'll tell you that Jesus is God. Well, Jesus is the only God. There is no other God but Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a... I mean, he really was a spiritual person, but he wasn't God. Everybody in the room has what they think about Jesus. Whether he shows up and talks with you in the middle of the night, like, boo, I'm Jesus, or, oh, Jesus... And other people are like, dude, I've never even met Jesus. I don't even know what he sounds like. Oh, honey, child, let me tell you about Jesus. I was in my bedroom, and I just had the presence of the Lord, and Jesus just showed up at the foot of my bed. Oh, and at the foot, of, and this person over here is like, Jesus, at the foot of your bed, the only at the foot of my bed is my dog. <laughs> and if I saw a human at the foot of my bed, I'd shoot him. 
I wouldn't even ask, are you Jesus? I just said, bang! And if it's Jesus, he'd have to resurrect himself twice because I just killed him again. Like, I'm not waking up at 3 in the morning thinking the figure at the foot of my bed is God. I'm thinking, ow, what are you doing, Robin? Dear God, you scared me. But everybody in the room's got an opinion of Jesus. It gets worse because everybody in the room's got an opinion of church. I just want to go. I don't want to go somewhere long. I don't want a preacher that just rambles and rambles and rambles. So I'm just going to go on Easter and Christmas and if your mother comes in town so she thinks I'm a good man. <laughs> i tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a Holy Ghost on fire, devil stomping. I want somewhere that they're not looking at no clock. I just want somewhere where the Holy Ghost and God's there and they just have floor time and everybody's laying on the floor and the oil of the Lord's falling from the sky and gold dust and feathers are everywhere. And I'm listening to that go, I don't want to go there. My God, I don't want to be in church for eight hours. I get hungry. Look at me. I mean, I'll give you two hours, but if we can't tap into God after two hours, something's wrong. Even Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. It can happen quick. <laughs> I'm not with a Pentecostal. A Pentecostal needs about five hours to get God in the room. It's like, dear Lord. And then you got all the people, what we think about church. I don't want to stand too long. I don't want to sit too long. And it gets worse than that because the end result, we can't even agree on what Bibles to use. Well, I think it's the NIV. No, it's the ESV. No, it's the NLT. No, that's the gay version. Don't use the gay version. They don't enter out even the real Bible. And then over here are the people that are really saved. King James only. It's just the King James Bible. That's the only real Bible that ever existed. And I'm like, well, if that's the only Bible that ever existed, I can't even read it, so I need some help. I don't mind if you think that's the only Bible, but I'm right here, and this is for stupid people. I like, I like that version. It reads easy to me. It's like, man, finally a third grade version. That's for me, man. You, you got ADD. You need this version right here. That's what you need right there, baby. And if you just want to sit around and go, I ain't got a clue what the Bible's saying, KJV, just get it. Just read the whole thing. Go, I don't even got a clue what peradventure hithersoever withermore meant. I, it felt spiritual. Now tap, tap into that and then I have to stand up here and pastor those people. I have to be the shepherd and yet everybody's got an opinion of God, an opinion of Jesus, an opinion of church, an opinion of the Bible and then I stand up here and go, okay, uh, uh, I want to talk to you about God and Jesus and church and, and no wonder sinners don't want anything to do with us. They probably think we're the dumbest breed of people on planet Earth. Why do I want to link up with Christians? Y'all can't even make your mind up on versions. You can't make your mind up on doctrine. You say women can preach. No, they can't. You can speak in tongues. No, you can't. There's demons. No, there's not. There's healing. No, there's not. Miracles still exist. No, they passed away. Hey, why don't y'all come be a Christian? Why? To believe what? Because we all seemingly, my, this is just my thinking, reading Job. 
I think we all mean well, no matter what we think about church or Bible versions. I think we mean well. But I think we've defined it not from God's end game, but from our own. So we could argue for months on what Bible version, but really have you ever stopped and thought, well then what's God's end game of the Bible in general? Just Scripture. Do you think God's end game is, I just need to make sure you have the correct version? And you go over here and get the NLT and God's like, oh man, I was going to touch his life, but I can't now. Oh, he picked the wrong version. I can't speak to him now. Do you think God's doing that? Do you think God is in heaven with 15 different kinds of churches and then you get to just pick off the wall what kind blesses you the most? Or does God have His end game for church? Does He have His end game for the Son of God? Does He have His end game for Himself? And my answer is yes. God has His own end game. We've just screwed it up. Because my end game trumps his end game. So I ran across this in Job 42. So this is the end. This is after everybody's argued, everybody's had their opinion, and everybody's right. So they're all in their denominational camps. They all have their versions of the Bible. They're all living their life like they want to. And something happens because God shows up. And he says this... (laughs) After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Tenemite, I'm angry with you and your two friends for you've not spoken accurately about me. What? I mean, I meant well. I had every intention of, I had your back, God. I was trying to tell Job how wrong he was. And I I mean, I meant well. I mean, I picked my version of the Bible and I picked what I thought about church and I picked the church where I wanted to go and I picked the pastor that I liked the most and I picked what I thought about Jesus. And then God says, yeah, thanks, but you're all wrong. Like, think about that for a minute. What if we've got it all wrong? What if this is just wrong? But see, the reality is we're here because we all think we're doing something right. Like everybody in the room is here like, I'm even up here thinking, okay, I hope this is good and right. Like we all want to do what's right, but what would happen if God showed up and said, you gave a lot of energy to something that's really made me angry. You gave a lot of your life to something that really was never even accurate about me. And so what God is saying is that we humans can be so passionate about Him that we get Him wrong. And then we take what's wrong and present it to the world and now there's just fathomable amounts of people that have these inaccurate perceptions of God. He's a killer. He's a baby killer. He's a good God. He's a bad God. He's a suffering God. And we all label him. We have all these labels on him because it makes sense to us. And then God shows up and goes, that's not what I wanted. A friend said this, so it's not my idea, but man, did it, it hit hard. He said this, what if you spent your entire life baking apple pies? only to get to heaven and find out God hated apples. And I'm like, God. I I mean, as simple as that is, but it's philosophically rather deep. 
Because what it tells me is that I can spend my life doing something that I think is valuable for God only to find out in eternity God was never for it. But I had all my boxes checked. And so where I want to take us all is I, I want to start here with I'm not saying I'm right because I think all of us humans can miss it. But I want to share with you the things I've worked out over 30 years of trying to understand an eternal God. And believe me, I've not landed everything, but I'll at least give you what I've worked out about Him and kind of show you where I want to take you. Here's my thought. Much of what we think about God isn't accurate because our own end game has skewed the results. You may have some thoughts now about Jesus that it feels right, but it's not. You may have some thoughts about church. Oh, I can't do church. Those church hurt people. They just hurt people all the time. And, and Well, you may feel that way, and it may be true. Church people can really do you wrong, but even though you've experienced it, it doesn't make you right. Because God's the one that defines what church is, not you and me. And so I have to begin to balance out this warfare between God's end game and my own. And both are very powerful. My end game holds a lot of weight. There's, there's, I would gather there's statistically a lot of Christians that are home today out of Christianity or at least church experiences simply because they've been hurt. And they've defined, I don't need church. Okay, great. Your end game is you can be a Christian, read your Bible, stay at home. You don't need church. Great. I get it. I understand it. But if God defines the end game, He defined the necessity of a, of a spirit-led, faith-filled community that you needed whether you were hurt or not. That's His end game. You need this group of people. Oh, but they're so dirty and wicked and terrible. Yeah, but you need them. Why would I need them, God? Because my end game says you need them. Okay, uh, you see what I mean? So I want to look at this because all of us in the room need to come to a place to where rather than Mark being my own end game, God becomes my end game. And this is what the book of Job is leading to. I know we love to hyper-focus on Job and his friends and his suffering, but the whole point of Job is that God is going to stamp the whole thing and say, fellas, let me tell you, you all have some good wisdom here, but you're wrong because I'm working a different end game than you. I'm trying to work something through Alicia here. I'm trying to work something in your life here. I want something that you may not want. I've even told you in my word that I think differently than you. My plans are different than yours. I'm working something for you. But Mark, if you're not careful, you're going to redefine me based on your hurts and your insecurities. And you're not going to let me have my end game. And we're going to be arguing and fighting the whole time. And that's what we find out. Because God's got an end game. And His end game is not what He can do for me, but who He is for me. 
My end game is what can you do for me? Can you heal me? Can you give me that job? Can you fix my marriage? Can you protect my children? Can you get me out of debt? I have this end game I need you to do. And God's like, good, I'm not struggling with an ego. I can do all of that. I can heal you. I can work all the little power you need. But really, my end game is not yours. My end game is through every scenario, I want you to know who I am, not just what I can do. Because if you only serve God off what He can do, you're going to have a very skewed view of God. So God's end game is, I want humans to know me. And I will say, the longer you've been in the game with God, there's something very precious about knowing who He is versus what He can do. Because when He's not performing for you, you don't fall apart. I know who He is. Yeah, but He didn't answer that prayer in time. I don't care. I know who He is. Yeah, but He didn't heal you yet. I don't care. I know who He is. Yeah, but what if your kids do this? I don't care. I know who He is. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep whatever I give to Him yeah, but what if you have a car wreck? What if your kid dies? What if this happens? What if that happens? I get it. I get the what ifs. I, I'm just letting you know that, that I know who he is. Well, what Bible version is right? I don't really care. I just want to read it and know who he is. Like, do you literally think God's up there going, well, I was going to bless him, but Mark picked the NLT. Oh, I was going to speak to him, but he got that old New Age version there. Like, you think God's thinking that way. You pick up your Bible, whatever version, God's like, oh, man, I'm about to blow his mind and show him who I am. I'm going to show him who I am, whatever version he picked, because he's seeking me. And as he seeks me, he will find me. And oh, there's something sweet that happens when you find Him. Because even in the middle of the hell, you're not swayed. Even when all hell is coming against you, and everything, every storm, every bit of suffering, and you just stand there and dust yourself off, how could you be so lax about the problem? Because I know Him. Well, I feel like you're just ignoring it. I'm not ignoring it. It's right in my face. I'm just telling you I know Him. Well, aren't you worried just a little bit? No, I'm not even worried a little bit. Well, you're just one of them name it, claim it people. Don't you label me with your box. I'm not a name it, claim it. I'm just telling you, I know the one who named everything and I trust him. Like that is the place that God wants to take us. He wants to move us out of your end game and into his end game. He wants to move from being some four-leaf clover for you and He wants to move into being who He is for you. He doesn't want to be your genie in a lamp that every time you rub Him, He goes, how may I serve you? He wants you to know Him. He wants to bring you to a place that no matter what wind blows, I know Him. And that you've not carved up some idol of who you think he is. And so my heart as a pastor, I probably will not do a great full job, but at least the 30 years that I've walked with him is to present you who he is. 
versus just what he will do. Because if I sell to you what he will do and he doesn't do it, you'll quit. As soon as he doesn't do your end game, you'll quit. Well, I, he, he, he doesn't care for me or maybe he doesn't exist. Or, but if, but if I, I present to you who he is, you will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't care if we die in the fire. I know who he is. I don't care if you throw me into a lion's den. I know who he is. Like there is a power that comes that settles you in rest when you just know who he is. Now that preaches easy, but it doesn't live easy. Because Job says in Job 21.4, my complaint is with God, not people. My complaints with God, and I love this because this is, the, this is the battle. I have a good reason to be mad at him. He didn't do what I think he should do. I feel like he owes me something because I serve him, and he hasn't given to me what I think he should give to me. So by the time I get to chapter 21, which is halfway through, it's 42 chapters in, at the halfway point, Job's like, I'll tell you the truth. I'm ticked off because I didn't get out of you what I thought I should get. And suddenly it becomes evident of this battle between my end game, what God owes me and should do for me because I'm such a good man versus who God is. God keeps his mouth shut for a while. God's still got about 17 more chapters before he taps his shoulder. God will let you whine for a while before he taps you on the shoulder and says, it's time for your end game to end. When I started, I said that 2023 was one of my worst years. I, I mean that in the nicest of ways. I, I just will say it this way. I don't ever want to go relive it nor wish it on anybody. Of what I worked through and struggled through. And when it came to the end of what I went through last year, I told Robin this. Because I, I had a dear friend and, and we parted ways. And I said to her, I said, I'm done. She said, what do you mean done? I said, just the whole, I love people. I want to be friends with people. I try to be friends with everybody. I said, I'm just done with all that. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm never going to walk through that again. And I'll tell you how it's going to go down. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to preach. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love the kids. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to preach Jesus, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love the kids. But I'm not doing the whole, I'm your friend. I love everybody. I want to be everybody's friend. Just not doing that anymore. It's not worth it. Yeah, I feel like it was just it's a waste. And so I, that was my goal. I'm just, I'm never going to like y'all again. I'm just, I'm going to preach to you, but I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to go to pizza with you. I'm just going to smile and go, Jesus loves you. I don't like any of you, but Jesus loves you. Because, because what's happening is I'm now allowing my end game to shape me. I'm not being shaped by God. I'm being shaped by hurts and disappointments and frustrations. And my end game takes over. So... I just pulled out. Now my, now, my thinking is, the moment I tell God, and I did. I said, I want, you know, I love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to preach. I said, but the whole Mark being a transparent, authentic friend to people, done with that. 
I'm just going to love people. Uh, I mean, love you, love the Bible, love my wife. I'll be good and, and die a happy old man. Now, if I take myself into heaven, this is what I imagine. On that day, on January 1, my little angel, Fred, you got to meet him. He's pretty cool. He flies up there, and God's like, what you doing up here, Fred? You're not with Mark? Look, Mark's having a rough day. What's wrong with Mark? He don't have donuts? No, it's worse than that. He said, now get ready, brace yourself, God. He said that he's going to love you. Okay, that's good. He's going to keep preaching. That's good. He's going to love his family. See, he's got it. What's wrong? Well, he did say that he doesn't like people, and he's just not going to do the whole people-friend thing anymore. He's just going to keep people at a distance. And I, I imagine, because I, I know the story, that God was like, okay, uh, he's pouting again. Yeah, he's gifted at it. That spirit's on him. He's, he could probably write a book. Look at him down there just sitting on the couch playing his guitar. Doesn't want to text anybody anymore. And so I can imagine God said, well, here's what we're going to do. Okay, what? We're going to ignore him for about three days. We're just going to let him wallow in his little pity party of his end game. And so for three days in the book of Job, yep, told you. Chapter 2, terrible. I knew it. Chapter 3, and only like God can do. When God decides he's sick of your end game, and he comes down and he taps you on the shoulder, and you say, I have a good reason that I've chosen this. And God looks at Mark Evans, and God says, Mark, your frustrations are what you want versus who I am. Much of our frustrations with God because God's end game, who He is, clashes with my end game, what I want. And sitting there watching the TV, all of a sudden I feel a tap. I guess it's God. That's what I perceive it to be. And I heard in my heart, oh, this is the way you want to live? You want to live pouting and sulking because life didn't go your way last year? Or do you want to go do what I've called you to do and love people and keep doing what I've asked you to do? Get back in the game, son. Dust yourself off and just go love people. And if you get hurt, love people. And if you find best friends, love people. Whatever happens, Mark, just do what I've called you to do. And in that, my little end game just clashes with God. And with an attitude, I'm like, okay. I'm going to love people. I will tell you, I do love everybody. Some people are mean, but I love people. I had to come to, I just love people. And do you know how many people aren't living their true, authentic self because their end game is clashing with God's end game? Do you know why they never can find freedom? Because they're in game of all their little walls that they have up, their little bitternesses, their unforgiveness, their hurts that they hold on to that has shaped their life. They never find the freedom that God wants because they never sacrifice their end game for God's end game. Because God's end game is going to call you on the carpet. Because God shows up. Oh man, here we go. 38 chapters in, and God finally answers. And the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with ignorant words? Take a deep breath for a moment and tell me, does this seem like good counsel to you? Your skin has rotted off. 
your flesh and bone. You've buried every child. You've lost your businesses. Your friends have been a jerk to you for months on end. And God, remember how we define Him, God shows up. Now the God I know would have shown up and said, Hey buddy, how are you? No, it's been rough. Bless your heart. You feeling okay? Been thinking about you. Had my angels talking about you. Can I get you a cup of water? The God of the universe shows up to a man in the middle of his hell and says, Okay, I want to say something. Y'all been talking a lot. I just want to say that everything y'all said, y'all are just ignorant. What? No compassion at all for my pain? You show up and say you have questions for me because everything I've been thinking is coming from an ignorant mindset? Yes, Mark, you've dumbed me down into your human thinking and you've tried to make me a human and I'm letting you know when you try to dumb me down and reshape me, you're being ignorant. And now I'm about to tell you my end game for you, Mark. My end game for you, Job. And he says this. I like, uh, ooh, brace yourself. Meaning it's probably going to challenge you, Job. I'm going to call you to look inward at what's really going on in your life, Mark. Brace yourself like a man because I've got some questions for you and I want you to answer them. What would happen if we started asking God to give us questions rather than us questioning Him. Well, why won't you fix my marriage? Why won't you give me a job? Why am I still sick? Why won't my children serve you? What if you just stop questioning Him and you just raise your hand and say, okay, I'm here. Ask me some questions. What would God ask you today? You're still addicted to porn? Oh, don't ask me that one. I want that question. Are you still ignoring me? Are you still, do you still have all these bad habits? Are you still losing your temper all the time? Mark, are you still pouting? Like, I got some questions for you, son. I just want to let you know that I've been watching your whole life while you've questioned me and you ask me where I am and you get mad if I don't perform. How about we flip the script, Mark, and let me just start asking Mark some questions from my vantage point. What would happen if Jesus walked in and we handed him a microphone and he walked up here and when he walked up here, he just looked at all of us. He said, welcome to my house. Every one of you are nothing but a whirlwind of ignorant words. Goodbye. And just walks out. You're not impressed? We just sang some songs. The music was incredible. You didn't mention the communion tables and my giving. You didn't mention that I showed up today. Nothing. The only thing you said of all my hard work is brace myself because you want to question me. And I'll tell you how arrogant we humans are. We don't mind questioning God, but I don't want Him to question me back. Don't you question me back. I'm the one that should question you. Why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you fix me? Why didn't you do what I demanded you to do? Well, guess what? I'm not serving you anymore. I don't even believe you exist. He taps you on the shoulders and says, Look, thanks for asking me all these questions. How about I ask you some? That's what he does with Job. And I love what he says because this is where I'm going to take you in the weeks ahead. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Why don't you tell me if you think you know so much? Doesn't it sound like just a little bit that God's irritated? Like he's a dad that's just had it up to here with that kid? Why don't you just tell me if you're so smart? 
Come on, give me a little bit of your help, Mark. Tell me what you think about me, how you've reshaped me to fit your experiences. Why don't you let me reshape you to fit me? Why can't I cut the rough edges off of you and make you fit me where you'll know me? And I wrote this down. God's end game is the revelation of His nature in light of your suffering. Do you know that every time you go through something, if you're not careful, you'll chip a piece of God off because He didn't do it. But do you know every time you hit a suffering moment, a moment where your life's not going well, where the winds and the storms are blowing, do you know that in that moment, God is wanting to reveal another aspect of Himself? He's not wanting you to reshape Him. He's wanting you to know Him. And it's in the sufferings of life, the sickness, the, the pains, the marriage issues, whatever they could be that we would label suffering, that God says in those moments, I want you to know that side of my character. I will say this in my conversations with older people. Those that have known God a long time, they usually have landed on knowing His nature and nothing seems to ever shake them. I look at my dad and I say, does anything ever bother you? Nope. Nothing. Nothing just ever at 87. Just pick something. It just irritates the hound out of you. It makes you just 87 years old, anything. And he'll be sitting there with his little donut on his belly. We're drinking coffee. The fire's going. No. Not bothered at all. Like it doesn't, you don't ever think that the apocalypse could be this year. No. That Joe Biden could be president for four more years. Nope. Nothing bothers you. Nothing. Nope. Zombies? No. COVID? No. Like nothing. And there sits the old fellow, bald-headed, on the front row of church every single week. Nobody pays him to be here. Nobody makes him come. He gets his 87-year-old body out of bed, went through two strokes last year, gets himself out of bed, dresses himself, sits on the front row. Why? Because in his life, he came to know the nature of God and not just what God could do for him. My mother, 84 years old, we had the woman that cleaned our church, got a new job, so we have nobody yet that cleans the church and we're looking for someone. My mother, 84 years old, she said, well, did you find it? That's my way of imitating her. Well, did you find anybody to clean God's house? I said, no, ma'am, not yet, but we've got some applications coming in. Well, I'll come down there and clean his house. I said, Mother, you're 84. Stay home. She said, no, I want to come down there and clean God's house because if I could tell you everything God's done for me in my life, it makes me want to clean His house. And I counted it. Now watch. This is her own words. I counted it honor to clean the toilets in the house of God for what He is to me and who He is. An 84-year-old woman says, I'm willing to clean everybody's tinkle in this church because I know who He is. Do you see when you know who He is rather than what He does, it shifts everything. You don't get ticked off anymore. Well, they hurt you. I don't care if they hurt me. I know who I believe. I don't care that I've had a bad day. I know who I believe. Listen to this. I'm going to ask the band to come. 
This is comical to me. I love it. Because if you can persevere through the pain of 42 chapters, I rarely hear anybody talk about this. Listen to the last two verses of the most terrible book of the Bible of a man's pain and suffering. Job lived 140 years after that. What is the that? He lost his farm. He lost his servants. He lost his children. His wife was ticked at him. And his three friends irritated the hound out of him. But after that, he sees four generations of his children and his grandchildren. And then, last verse of the book of Job. And then he died an old man who had lived a long time full life. Do you ever hear anybody say that about Job? The end of his life is was a full, long life with children and grandchildren and the favor of the Lord. Why? Because somewhere in his life, the end game of Job gave way to the end game of God. And when your end game submits to his end game, he's got one thing for you. He is going to move you toward freedom in his name. And that freedom is a long, full life. Stand up with me if you will. I have a question for you. Which end game is in the driver's seat of your present moment? Have you reshaped God, redefined God? Mad at God, mad at church, mad at people? Somebody owes you something? You've got all the hurts and the frustrations, the anxieties, failures. You've been running your end game for years. Kind of like Job. Well, I have some complaints of God, he did what He didn't do for me. Right now, who's in the driver's seat of your present moment? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you nervous? Or can you say in the middle of that frustration, I want to know Him? Because when you know Him, you find peace. Where I'm going to take you in the weeks ahead is I have come to the conclusion that God's end game for humans is freedom. He's moving you to freedom. He's moving you to a place of rest. He's moving you to a place of satisfaction and contentment. What does Paul say? I've learned to be content wherever I am. I've learned that. Through the good and the bad and Sometimes the 2023s will come. Sometimes the 2024s will go by. And whatever the year, a good year, a bad year, a great year, could you come to a place of God is my end game. And He's working freedom for me. Bow your heads if you will. I asked Michael at the top of the week, I said, would you do me a favor? There's an old song I like called Freedom Reigns. I feel in my heart as a shepherd of the house where I want to take us is to a place to where you can truly say freedom reigns. I've learned to conquer the fears because I know Him. I learned to conquer the addictions because I know who He is. I've learned to be at rest and not fear my children dying and not fear getting a disease and not fear going broke because I've learned to know who He is. I want to take you on that journey. I want to open up to you the expanse of who God is for you what His end game is for us. And when you come under that end game, you'll find His freedom. I'm going to ask Michael to sing that chorus. And as he prepares it, our communion tables will be here.
The way we end the house is we ask for a very sovereign moment, a sacred moment, something we do that the world cannot do. We can come and partake of communion, the body and the blood of Jesus, something the world cannot do. We can pray for you. Our elders will be up here to pray for you. Robin and I will be here. 